Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome to To The Point. I'm your host, Noah Warren. Apologize for no show yesterday. Life got in the way a little bit busy. was a little under the weather. We're back today, full energy, feeling good. And it is a Friday, so that means it's Big Money Friday. we got a lot of gambling angles coming on today's show for the NFL and college football weekends. We'll chat all about that. I'm gonna, i got some defensive metrics. i got some time of possession things that I think are interesting that will help you gambling this weekend. i got my parlay that I will offer you all. Of course, it's an underdog parlay because I only bet dogs. But I'll tell you, you're betting underdogs right now. You're making money. You just are because the Tennessee Titans rode dogs last night at Lambeau Field in the, in the cold, in the snow. They win. Underdogs are paying right now. I've been saying that forever. It's a good way to make a living or a side hustle. I wouldn't recommend being a professional gambler. I'm not there yet. If I can't make some money off this show, that might be my next career path. Who knows? But today, we'll get into all of that. And I want to start the show talking about some NHL, though, because there were some good games last night in the National Hockey League. A lot of interesting results. And want to go through a couple of things. So, initial headline, I think if you wake up this morning, obviously, naturally, the, the Maple Leafs will have the top headline in the National Hockey League because they are everybody's focused and they're what people care about, for better or for worse. However, the headline today might be about the Maple Leafs, but the, the bigger headline is their opponent last night, and that is that New Jersey Devils have won 11 straight hockey games. New Jersey has been an underwhelming, sad sack franchise since 2014-2015. Haven't made the playoffs in some time. Made the Stanley Cup Final in 2012, if you recall. Martin Brodeur was still playing in the National Hockey League. That was a decade ago, which is crazy. Steve Bernier was still on the New Jersey Devils. You remember him? Moncton Wildcat got uh, ejected in Game 6 of the Stanley Cup Finals, five-minute major for checking from behind. The Los Angeles Kings scored twice on that power play. They ended up winning Game 6. I believe 6-2 might have been 63, uh, 6-3 in Game 6 of the 2012 Stanley Cup Final. Since then, New Jersey has been a team at the bottom of the standings, and they've been drafting. They drafted Nico Heischer. They drafted Jack Hughes. They've signed Dougie Hamilton. It's been a draft and develop team, and the developing hasn't been as prosperous as you'd like to think. Try to bring in goaltenders. Mackenzie Blackwood has always been a question mark. Heischer wasn't, was not the player you should take, I guess. Jack Hughes was the obvious number one. He took some time to develop, was injured all of last season. It's been an up-and-down affair. They hired a veteran head coach, Lindy Ruff, which many people did not agree with. But now here we sit in November of 2022, and the New Jersey Devils have the second-best record in the Eastern Conference. If Boston wasn't so fantastic, New Jersey would be at the top of the East. They'd be the story of, of the league so far. The three teams that have dominated the NHL, And this is no joke. This isn't hyperbole. This is just straight facts, homie. New Jersey, Vegas, Boston. Those are the three teams that have been the top of the National Hockey League night in, night out. They're playing fantastic. 
I look at New Jersey, and I talked about them the other day, because they keep winning, you have to keep talking about them. And this is my point overall about sports. If you're winning, if you're producing a product that is winning night in, night out, you are, you are playing well, you have confidence, your players are playing well, you should be discussed. I don't care that you're a small market. I don't care. You should be giving your flowers for winning. Not just because, well, this is where all the money is and this is where the media markets are. That's what we need to discuss. No, who cares? Calgary Flames keep losing. I'm not talking about the Calgary Flames again today. I watched some of that game last night. They don't have an identity yet. They still don't. We're a month and a half in. They don't know what the fuck they're doing down there in Calgary. Daryl Sutter looks lost on the bench. Wasn't going to talk about them. I'm just saying they don't deserve a lot of the oxygen in the room, in my opinion. Washington. Washington stinks. They don't fight for games. Their defense core is horrible. They lose night in. I'm not Arizona. I'm not going to give them much, much oxygen. But when you are winning in any professional sport, you should be given more limelight, more airtime, however you want to define it, because you earned that respect. You earned that attention vis-a-vis winning, not just because, well, this is where we have all our people. This is where we can interview guys. That's irrelevant to the actual conversation. It's who is doing enough so that they can get the interview, that can get the attention. New Jersey has a blend of everything. They have adequate goaltending, the weakest part of their team, in my opinion. A serviceable defense core. John Marino is not a superstar player. He's not a guy that will jump off the page. Clearly, Pittsburgh felt he was expendable. However, I do look at him and I say, well, he can get through a shift and you don't often look up and say, God, I'd like to wring his neck right about now. In in today's National Hockey League, I'll take that. Because there are more bad defensemen than good ones. That's my if I had to sum up the NHL in a month and a half, is there's a lot of bad defensemen. I got a hockey hall of fame puck right here. I don't see a whole lot of Hall of Fame defensemen. They're gonna have to put guys in the hall just by osmosis, because there's not that many good players. If you can develop into being a really good defenseman and then also develop to being a power forward, you'll make the league. That's just a little point of emphasis here as, as I think about it and move forward. But New Jersey's serviceable defense. Severson, got his warts. Don't love everything about his game. It's okay. Marino, okay. Dougie Hamilton, love him. Go through the Ryan Graves, one of the best defensive defenseman in the league, period. Period. True Nova Scotia. Ryan Graves doesn't make many mistakes. Talk about puck-moving defensemen and all this stuff, and you can only have a puck-moving defenseman or skilled young guys. Ryan Graves can move the puck. Ryan Graves will block a shot. He'll go on the penalty kill, and he'll play 18 to 20 minutes a game, and he'll make fewer mistakes than that elite puck-moving defenseman. So New Jersey's got a solid defense. Up front, New Jersey does not have a superstar. Jack Hughes is playing well. He's a good player. He's not a superstar. But what New Jersey has is a bunch of really good players. 
Nico Heischer looks different to me. I thought last night he was the best player on the ice either team. Bill Nylander was real close. I'll talk about Bill. I'll talk about the least side of things in, in a second. Nico Heischer looked confident. He was very. He was assured. He knew what he wanted to do with the puck, and he wasn't afraid to try to make a play. He jumped. He was aggressive. He on as back checking was good. He's great in both ends of the ice, but he's starting to take more risks and starting to be a better offensive player because he's mastered how to be a good to play in his own zone. Nico Heischer looks like a legit. He's getting close to being a number one center, truly. Because not they're not all built the same. They're not all going to be Austin Matthews, score 100 goals, and wheel and deal Connor McDavid. It's worked for Bergeron in Boston for a long time. Nick Suzuki is a, is a number one de facto center. He is, because there, you can play a different style and still have a, a, a good result and your team be successful. So I look at Heischer is awesome. He's playing great. I've watched a lot of New Jersey lately. He looks great night in, night out. Hughes, confident kid. Confident kid. I don't know if you saw this the other day. He was interviewed by a reporter, and she asked him, you know, do you think you need to work on your defensive zone structure more, you know, and play a full 60 minutes of really good defensive hockey? And he threw it back at her and said, well, we're on a nine-game heater. I think we're okay. It was a fantastic answer. I don't think it was disrespectful, and it's true. Now, they'll go through skids. They've won 11 in a row. They got Ottawa on Saturday, which is a trap game. It's tomorrow afternoon. They'll probably lose tomorrow. That's how you play 82. That's how these work. You should win. It looks on it on paper. That's an easy win. You'll lose it. But Hughes is scoring goals. He's creative. He's elusive. And I just look through their team. They got skill. They got grit. I outlined it the other day. Dawson Mercer, Hughes, Sharon Gavich. I like their team a lot because every night they can beat you a different way. I talked about Florida who are struggling to be consistent right now because they're going through a cultural change and identity change. Florida is going from a person that was worked at Goldman Sachs, drove a Bentley, and had all the money in the world, had beautiful women on his arm. He lost all his money. It's like he's investing in FTX, investing in crypto right now. He went bankrupt. His wife, is all the women left him. His cars are gone. And he's now has to be a blue-collar worker while he tries to rebuild his life. Florida was running gun. Florida was fun. Florida was, this is our style. Now they have to morph into a different... They're still trying to figure that out. The Florida Panthers look like an NBA team still trying to figure out where each other are on the ice. The thing for New Jersey, they didn't make that many changes. One new goaltender in Vitek Vanacek. Dougie Hamilton's been there a year. John Marino's a new addition. But go through that roster, it's a lot of the same guys. A lot of the same guys. They've won 11 in a row. I look at the Metro. I think they make the playoffs. 
I really do because I think they're just so consistent. Crosby is obviously better than any player on New Jersey. I don't think Melkin's better than every player in New Jersey anymore. I like Jason Zucker a lot in Pittsburgh. I had Pittsburgh making the playoffs before the season, and I had Pittsburgh being a really good team. I thought Pittsburgh was set up well. They're starting to find their way. I think they'll be in the mix the whole way because it's Pittsburgh and it's Crosby, and I'll never bet against Sidney Crosby to not make the playoffs. It's a stupid bet. I'm not going to start it today. It's an underdog bet. If you do it, good on you, but it's not something I recommend. I expect New York Rangers to make the playoffs. They're a frustrating team right now. They lose to the Kraken last night. I like the Kraken, as you know. I like these small market teams. Kraken continue to fight. They win in overtime. They're scrappy. Martin Jones is playing fantastic between the pipes. He's their new number one goaltender. I don't care if Philip Grubauer, whenever he comes back, he makes six and a half. Philip Grubauer is a band-aid. Martin Jones is playing well for this team. He gives them hope. He's a new number one goaltender there. But the Rangers are inconsistent. They're going through some discord right now. Ryan Reeves, their, their fourth line grinder, he's been a healthy scratch in the last five games. He's upset. Apparently he's getting into fights with Gerard Gallant. Shesterkin hasn't been as good this year. Defensively, they're a mess, but I do expect them to still find a way into the postseason. Islanders, yes. That was a lock for me. Started the year. That was a lock bet for them to, to make the playoffs after missing last year because they have the identity to do it. They have the team to bounce back. So I look at it. I think Rangers, yes. Islanders, yes. New Jersey, yes. And I think Pittsburgh will battle for a wild card. So I think New Jersey will get into the playoffs at the end of the day. It's only November. It's still early, but I mean, we're 17, 18 games in. And if you have a really good first 20-game stretch, you are set up well. Because this New Jersey team is not Buffalo. Where Buffalo does not have a, a number one or even a fringe number one goaltender. They don't have a true... They don't have depth at the center position that I trust. They have Tage Thompson, who's a stud. But beyond him, Dylan Cousins, unproven NHL player. Rasmus Asplund, very unproven NHL player. Zemgis Gergensens, he's a fourth liner, and that's what he is. They have holes to fill. They have landmines in Buffalo. New Jersey has been at this longer, oddly enough. This regime, anyway, Tom Fitzgerald and Lindy Ruff. They have a set purpose. And I think for Lindy Ruff, he looks at this team. They play hard for him. He can be hard on players in the past, but I think this is what this team needs, quite frankly. They're young. And sometimes the best thing about a young team is you don't know what you don't know. I heard that from many people in my life. I'm 24. I don't know everything. Far from it. And you're going through life. And sometimes you're afraid to do something or you're apprehensive. And normally the advice I get or the advice I get from people is try it. Because you don't know what's going to happen. But also, sometimes you need to go through adversity in life. Sometimes you need to go through a bad experience to learn. Because you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what to do in the future if you haven't experienced that predicament in the present. So I think New Jersey, 
has battled through tough seasons. They've battled through injuries. They had the fourth most injuries in the NHL last year. Jack Hughes, I mentioned, he missed 50 games last year. He sure missed 30. They're, they're healthy right now, minus Mackenzie Blackwood, and they're doing it without Andre Pallad, who I love. Key part to Tampa getting to three straight Stanley Cup finals. He'll return. It's not like it's a season and injury. It's eight to ten weeks. He'll be back in January, February. Nice add to that team that you can you you know you're getting an experienced guy back into the lineup. But you got to give credit. Like Boston, can, they were off since Sunday. They got Philly. You're thinking, okay, maybe you take this team lightly. They beat them 4-1 last night. Krejci gets a couple points. Kudos to him and kudos to the Bruins. They're not slowing down. They keep winning games. They continue to win games. Linus Allmark is 12-1 on the season. He started the first two playoff games last year for the Bruins. They were down 2-0 in the series. Jeremy Swayman then started the next five. And I still think, although they did sign Allmark to a five-year contract, they expect Jeremy Swayman to be their goaltender of the future, but I don't think Allmark wants to give up that net. In Buffalo, I think he expected to be their long-term answer. They moved on. Uka Pekalukinen is the is the goaltender of the future there. But he's 12-1. and one. He's playing fantastic. He's got good numbers. And grab the net. Grab the net if you're him. Yeah, they might want Swayman, but if you own it and if you're playing better and there's no reason to get rid of you out of the net, then they're not going to. Boston's not a stupid organization. And this is the, for a person like me, analyst, however you want to call me, steward of the game, if you really want to get my ego boosted, when does the bubble burst for teams like Boston, for teams like New Jersey? Well, they will burst, but to what degree is my question. That's what I'm trying to, as I watch games. Like for Boston, I don't think they're going to go on a big, long skid this season. Maybe they lose three in a row, but I don't think they lose six in a row this season. And the reason I say this, they move the puck too well. They get too good at goaltending. And they have too much skill. The way Pasternak and Marshan and Mac, these guys compete on a given night, you're not losing six in a row with that mentality. Buffalo, they have bad defensive systems. They have one of the worst goaltending tandems in the NHL. And I was I was happy for Buffalo at the start of the year, but I knew what was coming. And you can see them losing 10 in a row because they're just not a great team yet. New Jersey? They don't have an elite player. Like I said, they don't have a superstar. But the way they they compete, and I just think how confident this team is, I don't think they will get down themselves that much. You can lose three, four in a row, but you can turn that around quickly and you win five before you know it. Look at the Toronto Maple Leafs. November, it's disaster. This is the end. We're all stuck in James Franco's house, and how can we get the hell out of here? I hate it. But now in November, they have one of the best 
along with everybody else because it's so it's so highly contested. But before you know it, things can change. And speaking of the Toronto Maple Leafs, let's get to them. Toronto loses to New Jersey last night in overtime. Bill Nylander scores a goal with under three minutes remaining in the third period. So they salvage a point on home ice, but they lose their fourth overtime or gimmick game of the season, which is still alarming to me. couple things for the Maple Leafs. I think they're playing much better lately just as a whole. But I have a gripe with the Toronto Maple Leafs, and this is why they're not winning these tight games. It's easy to blame defense. I do it. There are a lot of bad defensemen. I just talked about it. I should make a list about every bad defenseman on on teams. I might do that. It's a segment coming up. Sounds negative, but I do like to skew negative. But you hear all the time, well, this defenseman stinks. Look at this turnover. What can you do? And nobody does this more than Toronto because nobody talks about hockey more than Toronto. I saw a couple goals last night from the New Jersey Devils that will be blamed on defensemen, and it's just simply not true. Let's go through the first goal last night. Justin Hall for New Jersey. Justin Hall has the puck. He throws the puck up the boards. Winger has it. A defenseman collapses. Well... Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not going to teach anything you don't know, but I do. I, I did play wing when I was play, when I for 18 years as a hockey player, and there's a couple reasons I played wing. Number one, I didn't want to play center. It's a lot of skating. I wasn't a great skater. Just be honest with you. Number two, it's the easiest position, fact. And three, it's kind of fun to be on the wing. I like to pass the puck. You sit on a side. You can find anybody on the ice when you don't have a great shot but you can fit a pass through any kind of window. It's a good place to be. It's a good office. Just tell you for free there. So he throws a puck up the boards, Justin Hall. Winger, it's Dennis Malgan. He loses the puck, poke through. New Jersey gets the puck back into the opposite corner. Giordano can't get the puck out. He loses the battle. And before you know it, Jesper Bratt puts the puck in the back of the net. Yes, for Brad, by the way, hell of a player. Justin Hall will be looked at and say, oh my God, what a bad turnover. No. This Toronto Maple Leafs team, wingers, centermen, work fucking harder in your own zone. Period. Period. Couple things structurally. The winger's job there is to get the puck out. It's easy to say, oh, he can't. It goes back to the defenseman. Then you're then you're hemmed in your own zone. You get more tired. Defenseman's more likely to make a mistake. A winger can be protected a whole game. You don't know he played bad because he was just on the wing. Maybe he skated hard, threw a check. Okay, he played well. You have defensive. You have a defensive job. Get that puck out of your zone. If it's on your wing, you lose a puck battle. That is on you. I blame that goal on Dennis Malgin. Not on Justin Hall or Mark Giordano, who at the same time also can't be a defense pair. Just a second on that. But on this particular goal, Malgin, you were outworked. You have to get that puck by the defenseman. Because it's also about situational awareness. Know who you're on the ice with. Hall and Giordano. Not a great, not a good pair. 
Not a good pair. And the third line, who was playing great for the least the last number of games, they had a tough night last night. Camp, Malgin, and his name uh, supersedes me right now. I'm forgetting. But I, I liked Aston Reese. They struggled last night. On the ice for the first goal, I didn't think they had many great offensive zone shifts. It was a poor night for that line. But get the puck at your own zone. Period. And how about the overtime goal? John Tavares goes full Alex Galchenyuk, throws a pizza on the stick of, on the stick of Jack Hughes. He gets a shot, stopped, and who whacks in the Sharon Gavich whacks in the rebound. Two goals that were on offensive players and not the bad defense score for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Still bad, but last night it was not all about them. It was about Fords not being in the right position, not playing it correctly, and just simply not having situational awareness about where they are in the game and who they're on the ice with. Because when you're on a team, when you're playing with people, and this could be an office setting, you have to know your strengths, but you also have to know the people around you's weaknesses. For instance, I'm not a good communicator. I don't always tell people how I'm feeling or what I'm going to do. I just go do it. I might just pack up somewhere and go because I felt like it. And I didn't tell people. I might not pack all my stuff, but if I'm going with people, they might say, okay, no, we need to bring this if I inform people. So they might, they know they're traveling with me. They can set it up. They set up the details. Then we're good because otherwise I'll just go by myself, have nothing in a bag, and I'll show up there and say, you know what? I'll figure it out. For, for the Leafs, for these for the team currently. And this is every forward, but I look at Matthews, Marner, Tavares. You might have all the faith in the world in Justin Hall and Giordano, Riley, whoever it might be. Because they're your teammates, you love them, yada, yada, yada. But in the back of your mind, you're going home and you're talking to your significant other, you're talking to your parents, and you're like, oh my God, Hall's killing us. Or Sandine's killing us because everybody's done it. We've all had that conversation. I had it every damn game. I drive home with my parents. We had a post-mortem about the game. Who played like shit? Who's doing this? He doesn't give a good effort. And you kill your teammates. You still love them the next game. You still go in and play with them. But you don't. But you still have that same friction. It happens in every car. It happens in every workplace. You might love who you work with a certain day, like, God, they just can't get this together, right? Business owners, you go you go home, you're like, God, this employee's killing me right now. He just doesn't get it. Why can't he why can't he figure this out? Why doesn't he do this efficiently? I've told him 85 fucking times, but he can't figure it out. So for Toronto, be aware of your of your circumstance. Be aware that your defense core is very weak. It was weak before the season. It's weaker now. It is a the worst part of your team. I mentioned New Jersey's is goaltending. Toronto, it's your defense score. Matt Murray played well again last night. Really solid effort. I think he saved them a point, quite frankly, because the Devils were better in the third period. And quite frankly, the officials who were brutal last night on both teams Brutal on both teams. Those officials, I don't know. They don't want to ref big games anymore. Just like bear. 
Buck Tooch, New Brunswick called that game last night. He did a shitty job. I don't care where he's from. It's, it's a shit game. Uh, you, that Nathan Bastian goaltender interference call, garbage. That one before on Tavares, garbage call. I think they called one on Severson. The, the third period power play, Toronto had late garbage call. So be aware of your circumstance, of your situation. Now, Mark Giordano and Justin Hall cannot be a defense pair. They can't. Neither of them have good enough foot speed. And Mark Giordano is 39 years old. He's the oldest player in the National Hockey League. It is not fair to him to ask him to play 20 minutes. Because he physically can. He can stay out there for 20 minutes. He's not good enough to. He's not. And I realize, well, you're going to say, well, who do they put on the defense pair? Jordy Ben is the weakest defenseman. Rasmus Sandin is eking up there. I would go with I would go Lilligren. I would likely go with this. This would be my I didn't plan this this morning, but let's do it on the fly for every Leaf fan out there because I'm here to help you. I only want to help in your circumstances here. So we got Morgan Riley, Hall, Geo, Lil, Sandine, and Jordy. So Riley's first defense pair, obviously, is playing with Jordy Ben right now. That's not how I would go. I likely would go Riley and I'd go Sandine because I think Sandine's the weakest. You don't gotta put Sandine on him every shift. Just a thought. Yeah, they both but they all all these lead defensemen all shoot the same. So that doesn't matter to me where you line them up. Then I would go. That's where it gets tough because all these defensemen are the same. I would go Hall, Lilligren, and I go Jordy and Geo. Because either that or I flip Geo with Sandine because I might go I might flip Geo to play with Riley, Sandine to go with Jordy Ben. Because I think Play your other guys a whole lot of minutes. Riley played 26 minutes last night. That's too many minutes for him. I've talked about that ad nauseum on the show. But if that's your circumstance, roll with it. I just think Hall and Giordano are too similar. They both don't have great foot speed. And, and it, people can take advantage of it. Let me ask every Leaf fan out there if you're listening. Let me know in the comments. Let me know. Uh, rate and review, or let me know directly. Is everybody on board that Timothy Lilligren is a better defenseman than Rasmus Sandin now, just completely? I am. He's better. It's not a debate anymore. Timothy Lilligren is more likely to be on this Maple Leaf roster in two years than Rasmus Sandin is. And that was never the talk. That was never the option. It was always, well, Sandin's our future. He isn't to me anymore. Lilligren is more of a lock to be on this team at the start of next season than Sandin is. He's got too many holes in his game. He's more of a problem than a solution at this point. This weekend, New Jersey has the Ottawa Senators tomorrow afternoon in Ottawa as they wrap up a Eastern 
Eastern Canada road trip. And fun fact, if New Jersey beats Ottawa tomorrow, they will be 6-0 and this season against Canadian NHL teams. Pardon that, 7-0, because they beat Calgary twice. That will be impressive if they can do that. They would be 7-0 and against Canadian, Canadian NHL teams this season. Toronto has the reeling Sabres tomorrow night at Scotiabank Arena. Not exactly the greatest game for Rocky Night in Canada. I don't know how much I'll watch of that game because it's not exactly appointment viewing television. Another game last night that I had my eyes peeled to. Carolina Hurricanes against Colorado Avalanche. A couple of reasons why I wanted to watch this game. but Both teams are very good. And the Avs are starting to play better. And I just wanted to see how Carolina would fare up against the Avs because I've seen them play the least this year. They lost to a good team. They beat in Tampa. So Carolina has their games where they look great. And to me, they, there's games where they just they fall apart. Well, Carolina dominated the game last night. They outshot the Avs 47-17. to But the Avs win the game in overtime. Pavel Francouz played fantastic for the Colorado Avalanche, bailed them out, and they escape with two points that they did not deserve, but they get them nonetheless. I leave the game last night with a overall thought in Carolina. And I look at their teams, and they are still, they remain one of the most well-coached teams in the NHL. They have great players, Aho, Sveshnikov, Jacob Slavin, Brent Burns to an extent. They play fundamentally. They're just they're just a really good balanced NHL team, no doubt about it. But there's a reason why Carolina gets by a Boston, but then can't beat a Tampa, or they can't they can't get by the Rangers. They will fight with every team, and it'll likely go seven games because they just they scratch and claw their way into that position. But they haven't been to a cup final with this core. They haven't been to a conference final. And yet they're always talked about as being one of the most dangerous teams in the NHL. Well, the reason why this team is not winning championships, why they're not in conference finals, why they're not a real threat to me, it's their power play. Carolina has the 27th ranked power play in the National Hockey League so far this season. The bottom... Five teams are all outside the playoff picture right now. Carolina is the only team in actually the bottom 10 that's in a playoff position currently. Last year in the postseason, they scored one, I repeat, one power play goal in 14 games. That's hard to do, to be that inefficient. They have Ajo. They have Sveshnikov. They had Tony D'Angelo last season. And their power play doesn't get it done. And they lose the game to the Avs last night. And they dominated. The Avs did not deserve a point, but they got it. The Avs scored a power play goal. The Canes did not on five opportunities. Over five on the power play in a game where you are dominating your opponent. Evan Rodriguez scored three seconds into the Colorado first period power play last night, his sixth of the season. Aho got chances, net cash. They got skill all across the ice. But fundamentally, this team cannot figure it out on the power play. 
And I think they're well coached. I think they know what they're doing. But I truly think this team should bring in a power play specialist, a, a special coach to work with this team. Because you know, the cliche is, well, the whistles go away in the postseason. That's not true. In this new NHL, things are called in the postseason. It's not as physical. There are tons of power plays. Special teams are still vital to winning championships. Power plays have been up in the last five years in the postseason. Used to get one power play a game. It didn't matter. You didn't have to build for skill. You didn't have to build for that 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 time, that, that part of the game, because you didn't get them anyway. You get them now. You absolutely do. And I'm thinking of who Carolina could bring in. And here's the thought. How about your alumni? I know Jeff O'Neill works for TSN. He's affiliated with the Toronto Maple Leafs, but he's also an alumni of the Carolina Hurricanes. Now, the O-Dog's great on the panel. He does a lot of good. They got Justin Williams there in an advisory role. And Justin Williams was on power plays in his career, played a lot of penalty kills. Great player. But I'd bring in the O-Dog. I'd bring in my alumni group of players. And I don't think Carolina and the O-Dog are on great terms, but throw a little line out there. And bring in some of these guys to work with your team. Because Rob Brendamore can't be great at everything. Yanni Pickenin is on that bench. They got a lot of experience in the NHL. But Jeff O'Neill scored a lot of power play goals in Carolina and throughout his career. This power play should not be 27th ranked. They should not be down there with Columbus and with Montreal and with, and with these bad clubs. This power play needs to be a fit. It needs to be in the top 15 at the very least. Think Netcash, Aho, Svechnikov, Brent Burns, and it's 27th ranked in the National Hockey League. It's just an observation, but it's something that needs to be addressed before this. It's something that you need to find a way to win because that's a big reason why they lost to the Rangers. The Rangers. Beat them in seven games, but the Rangers had a great power play. You took a penalty against the Rangers, they made you pay. Look at Toronto last night. They only scored one power play goal, but it's a damn good power play. It's a damn good power play. They get all kinds of opportunities when they're on the ice. They just get really good looks. Quietly, Seattle's got a top 10 power play. Seattle should not have a better power play than Carolina. And I love my Kraken, but they shouldn't. Because Seattle doesn't have as much skill as the Carolina Hurricanes. They don't have as many options. But they find a way to do it. They find a way to be involved and, and have an impact. I'm not saying change your personnel completely, but I'd bring in somebody that's been had a ton of success in the power play in their, in their NHL career to discuss it with the coaches and the players on this team. Because Carolina can be a cup favorite. And they are a great team. I still don't trust their goaltending. I still think they have some warts about them, like every team does. But do they have one of the most sound defense scores in the NHL? Absolutely. Do they have really good depth and guys that just work hard throughout the entire team? Yep. But also, hey, we can't score a damn power play goal to save our lives. You like to be good at both. Carolina's got a very good penalty kill. 
You need to address that power play. You just do. Other results last night, Pittsburgh beats Minnesota 6-4. Crosby's starting to light it up. They're starting to feel it, I think, a bit in Pittsburgh. They need to reel off some wins here and to, to really get back into the forefront. Winnipeg. Winnipeg beats Anaheim last night 3-2. It's not about the result for me because Anaheim's not a good team. In Winnipeg, but Winnipeg has won 10 games in their first 15, which is a franchise record. Kyle Connor only had two goals prior to last night, which you're winning that many games with Kyle Connor not having that kind of production. But he gets a hat trick last night. They win 3-2, and he scores the game-winning goal with 53 seconds left after Trevor Zegers scored a beauty for the Ducks going top ched on Connor Hellebuck. But I look at Winnipeg. Shifley's been fantastic. It's another couple points last night. Kyle Connor was getting assists but not scoring, but now he's got a hat trick to get himself going. I've, I've always thought Winnipeg was going to be a good team for many years, and I gave up on, the, on this year. And, of course, they're starting to play well now. Now, one thing I'll say is their injuries worry me. Ehlers is hurt. Mason Appleton is out long-term, who they need for depth. They're def- uh, Vinny Hanola is getting at it because uh, Jansen Harkins is also hurt. So I think some forward depth is needed, some winger depth is needed on this team. Because I mentioned the other day, I, I don't mind their defense core. I think it's, a, I think it's actually a solid decor. But, you know, this team has a lot of different options offensively. They have a lot of creative players. Rick Bonus behind the bench. He seems to be fine after battling COVID. I thought maybe he might have to retire because he is 70 years old and, and you just, just for his health. But he seems okay, so I'm happy to see him that he's doing okay. But the thing about when uh, you see Kyle Connor last, he can do that on any given night. He's a great, great player. Great, great player. They keep winning games. They're a turnaround just from their offseason to last season overall. But I also look at St. Louis. St. Louis won their fourth in a row or fifth in a row last night in a shootout against the Capitals. Give up a big lead, but they hold on to win. Most important thing for them, they get two points at home on a back-to-back. They're starting to play better. They look like a team that's that's got some mojo, that's got some structure to their game. Kraken get a win. Detroit's off to a really good start. Moritz Sider finally scored his first goal of the season last night, but Detroit continues to win with him at the helm. It's interesting. We're almost to American Thanksgiving, and I would say we don't know that much. I know Boston's really good, and I have no doubt they're going to make the playoffs. That's signed, sealed, delivered. Vegas, same thing. I'm not worried about they win a game last night. Phil Kessel played his 1,000th straight NHL game last night, which is, I don't know if it's impressive or it just shows <laughs> how little he cares about going in the corner and fighting for pucks, but that's a, another debate for another day. I know they're going to make the playoffs, and I feel good about them. But you look at the rest of the league, Edmonton. I don't know. Jack Campbell's a disaster. They're not... They're not playing great hockey. So's Calgary. Teams in Alberta are not playing well. I know that definitively. 
they both have not shown much yet. What else? Um, the Rangers have been really inconsistent. Pittsburgh's been really inconsistent. I can't say they're locked playoff teams at this point of the season, which I thought they would, you know, they would be. They show themselves to be. Toronto's been better, but again, I think they have their problems. When it comes to Stanley Cup aspirations, those are very much loose at this point because of just their overall roster outlook and the way they structured their team. Ottawa's a crap team right now. They're not playing well. Vancouver's a mess. They got L.A. tonight. L.A. is the same team kind of they were last year. Loosey-goosey. They can score a lot of goals, and they got you know enthusiasm, and they can score it anywhere on the ice, really. But there's a whole lot of teams that we don't know what what they are yet. They still have to prove it. They still need to find themselves. Tampa's starting to turn around. They won a couple games in a row, to start, and they beat some pretty decent teams. Vasilevsky's playing better. They're getting goals, getting production from everybody on their roster. Kaloran scoring, Ross Colton, Herbix, Philip Myers scored his first goal, uh, first goal as a member of the Tampa Bay Lightning last night. So they're getting they're getting some production from everywhere. That's that's a positive for them. But as American Thanksgiving is less than a week away, to me there's still more uncertainty than certainties across the National Hockey League. That's that's for sure. Pivoting to the NFL. Before we get into the betting angles for this week, I am just killing myself today because I thought about it. I was riding a high betting. I hadn't been losing. I'd won three in a row, and I looked at the game last night, and I said, Green Bay, minus three and a half at home against Tennessee Titans. And I should have known Vegas was just gas-bagging all of us. I knew Green Bay was not a great team. been saying it for weeks. And I see Tennessee, and they're so boring, and they got no receivers, and it's just a bunch of – it's a, a Mike Vrabel, who's a great coach, and a bunch of ragtag guys around him. But I felt Tennessee was going to win the game, and I didn't bet last night. I didn't take the underdog. I went against my better judgment. And, of course, Tennessee beats Green Bay by 10 points, actually dominating Green Bay if you watch the football game. Tennessee whooped the Packers last night. They had the ball the entire game. They had the ball for 19 minutes and 25 seconds of the first half. Green Bay had it for 10 minutes and 35 seconds. Tennessee ran 21 more plays than the Green Bay Packers. And really, this game was somewhat close only because Tannehill threw an interception in the fourth quarter so that Green Bay could try to get back into the game. But in the second half, Green Bay had three drives that ended in punts. And Green Bay only got to the red zone twice the entire night. Green Bay ran for 205 yards in their win against the Cowboys. They only ran for 60 last night, and they threw the ball 39 times, ran it only 19. Green Bay's season is over. Of course, they're not going to win their division. They're in a division with the Minnesota Vikings, who are 8-1. They are not going to catch a wild card spot. The New York Giants are playing too well. 
Dallas Cowboys are there. You have the 49ers, you have the Seahawks, and of course you have the Washington football team led by the Green Lizard, Taylor Heineke. They are not catching those teams. They're done. Aaron Rodgers is 4-7. and seven. They have two more games before their bye week. Their next game against, is against the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday Night Football. Aaron can't be Aaron anymore because he needs a whole lot of help. He's not that elite guy anymore. I thought they started off the game extremely smart. They were running the football and then using wide receivers slash tight end screens where you had you know, wide receivers lead blocking and he was throwing quick passes to guys on the outside, which is a makeshift running play. So that was a smart way of going about it. What happened was Derrick Henry happened. Tennessee kept possessing the ball. They kept, they kept possession the whole night. And to me, this is the pivoting moment of the game. It's a 20-play drive, ten, over 10 minutes to start the whole entire second quarter. And Derrick Henry is stuffed on a fourth and one on the Green Bay Six. A massive play. You're going to change momentum. Green Bay has it. But then Green Bay has a three and out. Two incompletions from Rodgers on the drive. They're off the field. They punt. It's a short. It's a bad punt. And a few plays later, Derrick Henry runs it in the end zone. And it's 14 to six at halftime after Mason Crosby had his extra point blocked. Just something like that changed the momentum because then Green Bay got the football in the second half, but they didn't have any kind of production. Derrick Henry threw a touchdown pass. He ran in a touchdown pass last night and he caught a big screen for over 35 yards. He was a missile. He only ran for three yards a carry, but he wore down that Green Bay defense. He only ran for 87 yards. But the way they did their short passing game with Austin Hooper, screen game to Derrick Henry, and going over the top to Traylon Burks when they had opportunities. Traylon Burks, the rookie wide receiver, had over 100 last night. Green Bay, just their defense isn't what we thought it would be. Aaron Rodgers is not completing passes that you normally expect him to. And I just don't see Green Bay having an identity, and their season is done. And I'll put it like this. Four and seven, if they play the Eagles and they lose, which they should, they will be four and eight. Then they go into week 13, then they have their bye. If they are four and eight, five and eight, four and nine, whatever their record is going into their bye week, if I'm Green Bay brass, I seriously consider starting Jordan Love for the rest of the season. And it's not because I want to win football games. It's because I need to see what Jordan Love is. I need to see if he's going to be our quarterback of the future, what he is as a starting quarterback, because he's been on the Green Bay bench for three seasons. He's basically Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers was, he sat on the bench for four years behind Brett Favre, and then eventually they told Brett Favre, yeah, you got to go, because we got this guy named, you know, number 12, who's an absolute stud, who we can't keep on the bench anymore because guess what? You're saying you're going to retire every offseason because you're a hypocrite, stealing money from people, and let's we, we know this guy can play. And yeah, he's fucking crazy and a pain in the ass, but you know what? We'll take him. So, plus for Green Bay, how do you have any confidence that Aaron Rodgers is going to play next year? You don't know that. Yeah, he's got $50 million that he could, but you're telling me he wouldn't pass up $50 million? The guy is... He's a wild card. 
I don't think it's a guarantee he plays football next year. It's been a disastrous season for him. I still think there's a disconnect between him and the general manager and the brass. I don't think he loves Matt LaFleur as his head coach. Christian Watson he has four touchdowns in his last in his uh, last five receptions, four touchdowns in his last two games. But sorry, five touch five touchdowns in his last two games. But I'm not seeing anything else. Bakhtiari is likely going to retire. His star left tackle, his knee is blown up. Elton Jenkins, does he come back? They're in salary cap hell because of Aaron Rodgers. How many great weapons are going to be playing with you? So, I didn't see it going this way this season. I thought the Green Bay were a locked team. This is probably the thing I'm most wrong about. I thought they'd cruise into the playoffs. I did think Minnesota would be a threat, but I thought they'd have a really good record. I did not expect Aaron to play this poorly. I did not expect him to have this little rapport with this receiving core. And quite frankly, I did not expect the offensive line and the coaches to have so little, so, so such, how can I even phrase this correctly? Such little thought and presence and, and just thought to say, you know what? We got to run the football here. They finally did it last week and they didn't last night. And yes, Tennessee does have a very good defensive front led by Jeffrey Simmons. But it still would have been a priority for me to run the football and kept possession. You're playing in the snow. It's cold as hell. Try it out. Just thinking. Just a thought. It's it's tricky in Green Bay right now because they need a lot to make. The, to me, the last night was a was a punch. For Tennessee, they're now seven and three. Seven and three, and they are tied with the Dolphins for the second best record in the AFC. Which is crazy to think about because Tannehill didn't start for two, three of those games. And they haven't, they're still tend that their receiving core isn't that impressive. Derrick Henry's older and yet they continue to win. And you have to give so much credit to Mike Vrabel. You really do. And if they could somehow, you know, Kansas City's got the Chargers this weekend, which we'll talk about. They got some tough games down the stretch. They got Cincinnati later in the season. KC and Tennessee may actually play each other down the stretch. So, But if Tennessee could somehow get the number one seed in the AFC again, which I don't think is completely out of the out of the realm of possibility because of their schedule, because they still have some division games left. They got to play the Jags one more time. They still have to play. They might have to play the Texans one more time. So they have some gimme wins in there. They could easily finish with 11 wins. 10 guaranteed now that they're 7-3 and three for, for the Tennessee Titans. Mike Vrabel has to be in consideration for Coach of the Year because you lost A.J. Brown, your most important offensive piece. You lost Harold Landry for the season in training camp. Ben Jones has a concussion. Taylor Lewan blew out his ACL. They've had a lot of adversity, plus their roster just isn't that damn talented. Austin Hooper is catching two touchdowns last night. Tannehill's missing games. You're still alive. You're coaching your ass off. Vrabel has to be in the mix for coach of the year. No doubt about it. 
kudos to him and kudos to the Tennessee Titans because they just remain consistent year after year after year. Derrick Henry's getting older. He's not not what he used to be, but he's still a, a bull back there. Still a bull that can jump over guys. He can still throw jump man touchdown passes to Austin Hooper. They find a way to get it done. Tennessee 7-3 tied with the Dolphins after 10 weeks for the second best record in the AFC. They'll have a better record than the AFC East team by the end of the year, whoever wins that division. There's a little teaser for you. Now let's get to Big Money Friday. We're almost an hour into the show. we got to get to this. First off, news of the weekend. If you didn't hear, there's a game this weekend between the Cleveland Browns and the Buffalo Bills. The game was supposed to be in Buffalo, but Buffalo is currently getting close to five feet of snow. It's a massive storm, and the game has been moved to Detroit at Ford Field. Now, Detroit is playing here. They're playing at in New York this weekend, so Detroit is away. But Buffalo will play at Ford Field Sunday. Then they'll also play at Ford Field on Thursday because the Bills are playing the Lions for the first of the three Thanksgiving games. Now, I did see before the show today that Josina Anderson has been reporting that they're not certain if Buffalo is going to be able to get out of the airport to be able to fly to Detroit because of the storm. They're going to need approval to leave, and which with safety and everything, they're not sure of that. So the game is moved, but I don't think there's a 100% guarantee this game is going to get actually approval because they got to get the teams there. I think it's snowing in Cleveland. It's definitely snowing in Buffalo, so it's about safety and everything right now. But what we will proceed thinking – this game will happen, but it's now in Detroit. So it's te- it's a neutral field game between the between the Cleveland Browns and the and the Buffalo Bills. And the Bills are an eight and a half point favorite looking at this game. The Bills have lost two in a row. Cleveland's coming off a big loss to the Miami Dolphins, where I thought they might cover, but I didn't bet on the game. So I was happy about that. So, turnover differential is a stat that I, that I find interesting. Buffalo has one of the worst because Josh Allen has 10 interceptions, and they also fumble the ball a ton. So, they're bottom 10 in the NFL in turnover differential. Brown, actually, the Browns are, are bottom two because their defense just doesn't get any damn turnovers because it's no good. This game would have been interesting in the snow because the Browns, although their defense is no good. In the snow, it's very tough to move the ball. Josh Allen would not be able to throw as much as he likes to, and you'd have to rely on more of your running backs or Josh Allen in a court, you know, running as a quarterback. Now you're at Ford Field. If the game is a go, Ford Field is in a dome. There will be no elements. There will be no snow, nothing of that nature in Sunday afternoon's game. Cleveland's defense is atrocious. You can run on them. You can throw on them. Whatever you want to do. We saw Raheem Mostert. We saw Jeff Wilson Jr. get touchdowns against them. The one game where they didn't have all kinds of success was against the Bengals, but the Bengals threw the ball 50 times, 
and just refused, refused to run the football. Establish play action against this Browns team. They will self-destruct. If it was a bigger spread, I consider it, and it's even so crazy. It's eight and a half at this point. It would be much bigger if the Bills were not on such a skid, if they weren't playing such bad football. Deshaun Watson is not back yet for the Browns. They're still going through their issues. Buffalo is going to turn it around. I think they, I take, I'm not betting on this game, but I would take Buffalo minus eight and a half. Josh Allen needs to get right game. He's played a couple bad ones in a row. I like, I like Buffalo neutral site to cover the number. Chicago, the Chicago Bears, who are three, uh, three and seven, head to Atlanta to play the four and six Atlanta Falcons. Atlanta has not played since last Thursday where they were defeated at the hands by the Carolina Panthers. Atlanta is a three-point home favorite. Atlanta's great at a couple things. They can run the football, which is what their base is. But they they run the football, and normally on defense, they give you a tough go. They played well against Justin Herbert a couple weeks ago. Against Carolina, didn't give up many big plays. It was just, you know, Carolina found a way to be more successful than Atlanta was. Chicago can run the football. Justin Fields is a special talent. And they did lose to Detroit last week, but they've been involved in every game. Atlanta's 4-6. and six. Atlanta needs to win this game to remain in the playoff mix. They fall to 4-7. and seven. They are not coming back in their own division because Tampa, who is idle this week on a bye, is starting to play really good football. I don't think they'll lose many games down the stretch. You lose this week, you're done. You're the Atlanta Falcons. The Bears are 3-7. and seven. They're not playing for much, but Justin Fields is balling out. He's ran for 325 yards over the last two games, which is just completely absurd. But he's he's doing it with his legs. He's finding guys through the air. He continues to develop as a just a quarterback. Chicago's defense is decent. I think they can stop the run. Atlanta's defense is okay. But I look at this game, Atlanta's a three-point home favorite. They're always involved in close games, and I love betting Atlanta when they're not the favorite. They've been the favorite twice this season gambling-wise. They've lost both games. It's the thought. They were big favorites against Carolina. They lost that game, and, Carol, uh, and Carolina covered when Atlanta was a fa- favorite a couple weeks ago when they played. So both those Carolina games, Atlanta was the favorite. Carolina covered both times, including beating them one time outright. I am taking Chicago plus three this weekend. I told a friend, he texted me and said, should I take the Bears against the Lions? And I said, no way. Take the Lions if you're going to do it or don't gamble on the game because it's a divisional game. This is a divisional game. Three, four and six Atlanta, three and seven Chicago. They're about the same, these two teams. Atlanta's got really good receivers, but they don't use them. Chicago has no, nothing at receiver, but their quarterback is just such a special talent. I like Chicago to go into Atlanta, get the win, take Chicago plus three. Philadelphia this week will head to Indianapolis, where Philly, coming off their first loss of the season on Monday night, will play the Indianapolis Colts. And this game interests me. 
So in the first eight games of their season, the Philadelphia Eagles had three turnovers. They had three Monday night against the Commanders. So what we've seen from them is normally they don't turn the ball over. They're very sound. They're, they're, they, they take care of the football. Last week I think was an aberration, was an anomaly, and not the, the standard for this football team. So in saying that, Indy has been a really good team, but they're not exactly a team that takes the football away. They can get sacks on you. They they normally uh, make good plays defensively, and they're 1-0 under Jeff Sadwick. And Indy's a seven-point home dog. And this is a tricky one for me because I so badly want to take Indianapolis in this game. I do. I mean, Philly's without Dallas Goddard. He's going to be out several weeks. But Philly's been active. They signed Indomitian Sue to a contract. They signed Linval Joseph to add to their defense. So Howie Roseman has been aggressive going to find defensive players. And I think money will be coming in on, Indi- on Indianapolis to, to win this game because Philly finally showed some weakness. I think we'll see the resolve of this team this weekend against Indy. Indy won a game against the Las Vegas Raiders, who are awful. We know that. They are not a good football team. Josh McDaniels is on the hot seat despite getting a vote of confidence. They do nothing efficiently. Philly is still a very good team. A.J. Brown only had one catch on Monday night. That won't happen again this week. Stephon Gilmore is a good corner. He's not as good as he used to be, but he still can play. For, for the Colts, I think that'll be the matchup to watch. But Devontae Smith... They can run the football, which Indy Indy ran for 207 yards last week. We saw that, and they got a win. The Packers did the same thing. They ran for 205. Packers lost last night to a better team. Unfortunately, in this game, Philly is not an underdog. Indy is. If you're betting, take Philly, minus 7. Again, I don't bet it, but if I was, I would take Philly, minus 7, because they're just a better team. They just are. I think Tennessee won by 10 last night. They're a better team than Green Bay. That's how I look at it. Interesting game of the weekend. Jets, New England Patriots in Foxborough. New England is a three and a half point home favorite. Fun fact, the Patriots have won the last eight meetings against the New York Jets. Complete domination, including beating them two weeks ago, or three weeks ago. Both teams are coming off a bye. The Jets defeated the Bills prior to their bye and one of the biggest wins in recent memory. The Patriots defeated the Colts, who then fired Frank Reich. So both are riding a wave of positivity coming off a bye week. you got two quarterbacks in this game that have been pretty awful to start this season, two defenses that are really good, and a running game on both sides that really work. The Jets would have beat the Patriots two weeks ago if Zach Wilson didn't turn into a backyard quarterback and throw three of the most horrible interceptions you've ever seen. Last week, or two weeks ago because of the bye, Zach Wilson played really well against the Bills, and he took what the defense gave him. And ultimately, Quinn and Williams and Sauce Gardner, the Jets come up with two interceptions, and they won the game. The Jets have a ball hawk de- you know, style defense. Jack Jones is really good on the Patriots. Sauce Gardner for the for the Jets. Two bad quarterbacks. Two teams that don't have great offenses. 
Now the Jets do have more weapons. New England's won eight in a row, but this is not a good enough team to sweep a season series. I talk about division games all the time and how they can be interesting. New England won the first matchup. They will not win the second one. They just won't. If New England does win this game, here's why. They, they are the eighth team in the NFL when it comes to time of possession. They control the football when they have it. Here are the top eight teams. Washington, number one. Baltimore, Cincinnati, the Giants, Cleveland, San Francisco, Green Bay, and New England. Why did Green Bay lose last night? They didn't have the ball. New England needs to possess the football. Michael Carter, James Robinson. I'm curious to see moves that teams make on their bye week. What kind of adjustments they make. Jets are coming off. Both teams are coming off a win, but the Jets feel better about themselves than the Patriots do at this point. Division games are a split. They're interesting. I'm going with that theory. It's made me money before. I'm taking the Jets plus three and a half. They end the Patriots' win streak against them. Rams, New Orleans. I'm not going to spend much time on this. This game is a dog of a game. Matthew Stafford is coming back this week. Andy Dalton is starting again for the New Orleans Saints. No Cooper Cup for the Rams. He's out for a long time. Both these teams stink beyond stink. The Saints are a favorite because they're at home. You get three points for being a home favorite. That means they have very little confidence in either of these teams. New Orleans is no good. They're coming off a win, however. So you have to give them that. They did win last week somehow. Sorry, they lost the Steelers. Pardon me. You have the Rams losing to the Cardinals. You have New Orleans losing to the Steelers. Steelers of all teams this season. To me, I don't understand this. I thought the Rams would be a favorite, but they, I've never seen them play. I've never seen Stafford play a snap without Cooper Cup. I don't know what he's going to look like. The run game stinks. So now that I think about it, maybe that's why New Orleans is a favorite. I'm not betting this game. I'm not even going to tell you my opinion because I don't want to give you bad advice, and then you got to blame me. Don't bet this game. Don't watch this game. Burn this game. Brutal. Detroit at the New York Giants. This is a sneaky, interesting game for me. Is this a look-ahead game for the New York football G-men? Because on Thursday, the Giants play against the Dallas Cowboys on Thanksgiving. A big Thanksgiving game, their second meeting of the season, and they'll be looking for some revenge after losing in Week 3 to the Cooper Rush-led Cowboys. Detroit is coming off two straight wins against teams that don't have winning records, Packers and Bears, but two division wins nonetheless. Detroit is 3-6. and six. You have the 7-2 and two New York Giants. The Giants are only a three-point home favorite. That's the same spread as the New Orleans Rams game, which is interesting. What is Vegas telling us? I mean, I was the first one to say at the start of the season, I thought Detroit would be better. I thought they'd compete. I thought they'd get seven wins. They are better than what their record is telling us. Dan Campbell, tough start, was on the hot seat. Now he's winning games. Detroit's always burning me when it comes to gambling. They always do. 
because I have faith, and then they let me down. And then I don't have faith, and they win games. But I did say I thought Detroit would win last week, which they did. Swift is back. TJ Hawkinson is gone, so that's a big part of the offense for Detroit. Their defense came with a big interception last week to beat the Bears. The thing for the Giants is they haven't been eating themselves this year. They're not committing turnovers. They have the fourth best time of possession in the NFL. Saquon Barkley leads the NFL in rushing. This is why they're winning football games. Daniel Jones not fumbling. He's not throwing interceptions. They just have an efficient offense with very little great offensive pieces. I'm telling you, the Giants look at it, and they know if they win this game, they're practically a lock to make the playoffs because they will be 8-2 in a bad NFC. Seeing the Packers lose, it's almost more pressure to win this game because you know what kind of position you're in. Because the, the Giants have this game against Detroit. Then they have three of their next four games or divisional games against the Cowboys and two against the Washington football team. That's what they have on the horizon. It's a tricky spot for this team. Because this game can very much go very poorly for this team. I love the offense. I love the run game for the Giants. I think the Detroit can be just as explosive with Swift and some of their weapons on offense. If you're feeling risky, take Detroit plus three. If you're feeling risky, you're feeling a little, for lack of a better term, horny, Detroit is a sneaky bet this weekend because this is a trap game. It's a look-ahead game. Whatever, you want to, whatever sports metaphor you want to use, that this is this game. Because the Giants are a better team currently than Detroit. But who's got a more talented team? The Lions. The Lions do. I'll have to think about that one this weekend. The Carolina Panthers will play the Baltimore Ravens this weekend in Maryland, and Baltimore is a 13-point home favorite. P.J. Walker has an ankle sprain. He's out for the Panthers. Baker Mayfield is back in as the team's starting quarterback. Wow, how interesting. Carolina is coming off a Thursday night win. Baltimore is coming off a bye. I'll tell you what, folks. 13 points is a lot. Carolina's got a really good defense, and I love Baltimore. I think Baltimore's going to win this game. I'm going to start off with that. you got Lamar Jackson. They have, this, they have the second-best team in the NFL in time of possession, and that's what they're going to hope to do. Run the football, chew up clock, and have seven, eight-minute possessions because that's what Baltimore does. They they kill you with cuts. You know they 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 give you they, uh, death by a thousand cuts. It's not one. It's not a, a bullet to the head. They do it methodically. Carolina's got Brian Burns. They got Derek Brown. They got some really good players on that defense. They make it difficult for you to run the football. This might just be my love for Carolina at the start of the year, but I look at this, it's too big a spread for me. I think we'll see a backdoor cover in this game. To me, this is an easy one. I like Carolina plus 13. I'm betting this. It's a lock. I saw it. I said I'm betting it. 
Carolina plus 13, just because, plus I think Baker Mayfield is going to be motivated to play well. I do. Their offense isn't that terrible. Deontay Foreman, Chuba Hubbard at running back. You have Baker, DJ Moore, Tommy Tremble at tight end. I like Carolina to at least keep this under two touchdowns in this loss. I like the Carolina Panthers plus 13 in the Baker Mayfield big start against his former division. He's back in Baltimore playing the Ravens. I love it. Washington football team head to Houston. Houston's a three-point home underdog. This is personally offensive to me that Houston is only a three-point dog. I don't bet favorites, but I'll tell you this. The Green Lizard is 5-5. Five and five. Washington's feeling good. He's the starting quarterback again. Ron Rivera came out and said he's our starter this week. Carson Wentz, get that bench ready because that's where you're going to be. Washington's got all the ingredients you want. And also, it doesn't really matter because Houston's terrible. Washington's only a three-point favorite. My God. If you want to be really aggressive, tease this. Get it to about seven. Make some more money. Washington will not skid. They will not falter against the Houston Texans on a short week. They're in the dome, good elements. The Green Lizard will sling it. They'll run the football. Washington football team, minus three. If you're, if you're a guy that likes to bet favorites, it's an easy one. Vegas at Denver. My God, another dog of a game. Two and seven Vegas against the three and six Denver Broncos. Vegas won the first matchup in week three. Or week four, pardon me. In Vegas, they got the win. One of their two wins. It's been chaos there all week. McDaniel's talking about the team. Derek, Carl's, Derek Carr is breaking down in tears. And suddenly now Denver seems safe, seems structured compared to this, to this Raiders team. Denver's coming off a loss to the Tennessee Titans where they had zero second half points. And Russell Wilson, again, just looks like complete crap. Let's ride. I don't know about this game. It's a game you don't want to watch, I can tell you that definitively. Maybe you do because it's such such a train wreck. Denver's a three-point home favorite. They're not running the ball as well because they don't have Javante Williams. They don't trust their running backs. They don't push the ball down the field. Derek, uh, sorry, uh, Derek Carr was crying, as I mentioned. The Raiders lost the Jeff Saturday game. It was so horrible for them last week. In division games, things seem to just mend together. But in the in sports, well, sometimes you have all those tough moments, and the next week you find a way to win a game, and it's good feelings, it's good emotions. Josh McDaniels knows he needs a win. He can't be 2-8. and eight. That's a tough look as a head coach in this team with how much talent they have to be 2-8. and eight. I would take Dan, I would take Vegas plus three. I would. I just I just believe after some of these big moments in the season that are emotional, that are talked about, you find a way to persevere. Why did why did the why did the Colts win? They shouldn't have. On paper, they shouldn't win that game. Jeff Saturday coming out of the booth, but you win that game just cause. Maybe the Vegas wins this week 
just cause. Denver's got a top five defense in the NFL. True. I don't think this will be a high-scoring game because neither offense is that great. Maybe get a turnover if something happens. Russell again, zero, Russell zero second half points last week against the Titans. Not a problem in Denver about their defense, but again, you're bound to have one bad game a season. They really haven't had one yet in Denver. They haven't played the Chiefs yet, so that's that's coming. But I would I'd be interested in taking a look at Vegas plus three. Game of the 5 o'clock window, the Dallas Cowboys head to Minnesota to play the, the Vikings. And the Vikings are one-and-a-half point underdog. Kirk Cousins is 1-4 and four in his last five starts against the Dallas Cowboys, including a loss last season to Cooper Rush. Interesting about this game. Minnesota is second in the NFL in turnover differential, which is staggering because Kirk Cousins has eight interceptions. But their defense comes up with a lot of turnovers. Oddly enough, Dallas is fourth in turnover differential at plus six. Minnesota is at plus nine. I find that stat interesting because both teams on defense are playing really well. Now, the Cowboys got ran all over last week. Uh... Yeah, pardon me, against Green Bay. They got ran all over them. They did. And they got whooped at the line of scrimmage, which I think Minnesota will try to do again tonight on Sunday afternoon. But teams also make adjustments. Teams can also do things. We saw last night. Green Bay couldn't run the football, and they were stuck. Minnesota is a one-and-a-half point underdog, which they – Vegas is still telling us that they don't believe in the Minnesota Vikings. They don't believe in Kirk Cousins. It's smoke and mirrors. They're 8-1, but they're a fraudulent 8-1. They shouldn't have beat the Bills last week, but they did. They found a way to squeak it out, and Kirk D. Cousins wins another football game. That's all that matters for him. They are one of the best. They're second in turnover differential in the NFL. They're top Top five in sacks. They have a top fifth. They have a top ten defense. They have Justin Jefferson, who I think is the best receiver. So why is this happening? To me, Kirk Cousins is a better quarterback than Dak Prescott. I, I just view it that way. I think he is better. For both of these teams, I think the run game is, is so important for them to establish. For the Cowboys, they need to run the football. As many times as they throw the football, that is their formula. That's the way they're going to win football games. Tony Pollard needs to get the ball a ton in this game. Dak Prescott cannot throw it 40 times and think you're going to win. It's just not going to happen. I've seen it too many times over the course of his career, and it's always a disaster. So Darius Smith's been balling out. You have Micah Parsons. This Dallas defense has been really solid, and they had a bad game last week. I think they respond and play well. Now, Minnesota's going to be getting a lot of breaks. They were down by 10 points to the Washington football team. In the fourth quarter, they came back and won. They were down by 17 points to start the fourth quarter against the Buffalo Bills. They came back and won. Down 10 points with six minutes left. They came back and won. So back-to-back weeks where they're down 10, at least 10 points in the fourth quarter, and they come back and win the game. That is not sustainable. 
They also have the most one-score victories in the NFL. Those catch up with you. Because sometimes it just doesn't break your way. Minnesota seems to always lose to Dallas, which is true. And it's a lot of the same Dallas core that beats Kirk D. Cousins. It's not a 1 o'clock game. This is an afternoon start time for Minnesota. That's another thing for me. As crazy as it sounds, it does. Because Minnesota plays Sunday afternoon against Dallas, and then they have the Patriots, the nightcap of the Thanksgiving game. So a primetime game for Kirk D. Cousins. This game is interesting. I can't wait to watch it, but I'm so perplexed with who to pick. I'm so perplexed with who to pick. Cowboys respond, but I also look at Kirk D. Cousins, and I see him as a home underdog, and I want to take the home dog. Just makes too much sense to me not to take the home dog. Dallas is 6-3. and three. They lose this game. They're 6-4. and four. A game up on the on the Washington football team, interestingly enough. They would be two back of the Giants if the Giants win this week. In my underdog parlay so far, I like the Bears plus three. I like the Jets plus three and a half. You need a third leg of that parlay, and I like Carolina. So that's my first parlay of the day. Carolina. Chicago. Jets. Now, if you're making a second one, Detroit's interesting, as I said. Maybe you take Vegas, and Minnesota is a home underdog. <sighs> Kirk Cousins. Screw it. Give me Minnesota plus one and a half. It's not 1 o'clock, but I think Kirk D. Cousins finds a way to win this game against the Cowboys. Vikings plus 1.5. That's where I'm leaning. Another 525 game, we have Cincinnati and Pittsburgh. This game was initially set for Sunday Night Football, but it was flexed because nobody wants to watch this game on Sunday Night Football, and NBC saw that coming. Pittsburgh is a four-point home dog. I gotta say I'm surprised by this spread. I understand it in a sense because it is a divisional game. They played in week one. Pittsburgh won a crazy game where Cincinnati had five turnovers and Joe Burrow played horrible. He got sacked seven times. This game would be closer than probably it should be because it is a divisional game. And because Cincinnati crushed, crushed their opponent last week which I'm forgetting who they played, to be quite to be 100% honest with you. The games fly by, and I forget who they played. But I know whoever they did play, they won big. So, probably a team on a bye, because I'm looking at the schedule, and I can't pinpoint who it was. Nevertheless, not important. They crushed their, their opponent. And at, you know, they crushed the Carolina Panthers a number of weeks ago. And after they crushed the Panthers, what happened? Oh yeah, they lost to the they lost to the Cleveland Browns in the divisional game of Monday Night Football, and an upset. 
Steelers' TJ Watt is back. They do still have a, a good defense. Kenny Pickett is playing decent. He's not turning the ball over as much. I'm still going, I'd still go since he minus four. But I think Vegas is hedging on what we saw with them a few weeks ago against the Browns, unless about what they actually think, if they actually think the Steelers are a good team. Sunday Night Football, we have Kansas City against the Chargers in Los Angeles, which will be a Kansas City home game because nobody goes to games at SoFi. I thought this would be a bigger spread. They're giving more respect to the Chargers than they probably deserve. They lost last Sunday night to San Francisco. Keenan Allen's back at practice. So is Mike Williams. They were both limited in practice, as was Deron Carter. So this team is beat up. Defense Joey Bosa is still not back. Their offensive line is still beat up. And I haven't seen any slowing down from the Chiefs. They played extremely well last week against the Jags. They got the win. To me, Kansas City is the best team in football. It is a divisional game. They beat the Chargers in week two in a very nip-and-tuck game that was a three-point spread. Herbert didn't play well last week. I think he'll play better this week. I think he'll play a good game. He gets off for these games against against Mahomes because I think he, he likes having that pressure. He knows who's on the other side of, of the field. But I like Kansas City. It's Kansas City. Kansas City minus five. Their team is playing well. Juju might not play. They'll be fine. Kansas City minus five. And Monday Night Football is San Francisco at Arizona, but this game is at in Mexico City, another international game, if you will. San Francisco is an eight-point favorite, and technically they are the road team. Still undetermined who will start at quarterback for Arizona. Kyler Murray and Colt McCoy are both limited in practice. So it may be another Colt McCoy week. We are not sure yet. I'll talk about this game more on Monday. Arizona has not shown me much to value them. But San Francisco, eight points for San Francisco is a lot. I took the Chargers to cover when they were a seven-point favorite. They did. We'll talk about that more on Monday, but I'm leaning Arizona right now, quite frankly. Another divisional game where I'll take... I'll take the points and I'll take, you know, the, the nip and tuck of it all. So to recap the NFL, first leg of a parlay that I'm going to put in after this podcast is over. Chicago Bears plus three at Atlanta. New York Jets plus three and a half at the New England Patriots. Carolina Panthers plus 13 at the Baltimore Ravens. Then if I'm feeling frisky, Vegas plus three at Denver. Minnesota plus one and a half home favorite, sorry, home dog against the Dallas Cowboys. Then I need another leg. It might just go two leg parlay, take the under and the Vegas Denver game because I don't expect many points. That's where I'm leaning for the weekend right now when it comes to the NFL. There are some interesting games. There are some dog games. That's just the way this season's been in the NFL. Still incredibly interesting. Still, as always, incredibly compelling. College football. I got some lines for you guys that I like. I like the, I think we got some winners this weekend as well. Texas A&M is 3-7. They stink. They had the best recruiting class in the nation. But we're getting to the end of the college football season, which means, you know what that means. SEC cupcake games. Texas A&M is a 33.5-point favorite this week against UMass. UMass. 
UMass is known for hockey. They're known for cold weather. They're known for being down, not for football. You get a cupcake game, you go play AM, you may make a lot of money. They're not going to win this game, UMass, but AM has been awful all season long. They lost to Auburn last week. Auburn, who's already fired their coach. AM won't do it because they have, if they have a, their coach 10 years left on his deal, they have to pay him $100 million if they fired him. That's not, I might have been joking about that. That's actually true. I like UMass plus 33.5 this weekend. Feeling risky. Vanderbilt who had their first SEC win in 28 tries last weekend against Kentucky, is at Florida this weekend. Florida is a 14.5-point favorite. Vandy's played well all season long. They started off 3-0. They got to their SEC schedule, started losing games, but they've been battling. They're a better team than people give them credit for. Vandy's as good or better than A&M. Florida is inconsistent. They turn the ball over. When you expect them to win, they lose. When you expect them, you know, to lose, they win. They're a 14 half point favorite. That's two touchdowns. I like Vandy to cover that. Vandy plus 14 and a half this weekend. Baylor at TCU, one of the big games of the weekend for college football. TCU is number four in the rankings. They need to win out to make the college football playoff. I like Baylor a lot before the season. I think this is an interesting game. TCU is a slight favorite. Baylor will compete in this game for sure. I knew TCU would win last week against Texas. They were a seven-point dog. I took them. I'm not as confident about this game. Blake Shapin's a good quarterback at Baylor. Baylor can put it together and absolutely beat TCU in in a one-game showdown here. I'm not as confident. I think this will be a really good game. It's a 1 o'clock start. It should be fun. I'm not betting it, but if you want to, I would I'd be looking at taking Baylor plus 2.5. Just not actually scratch that. Take TCU. Boston College at Notre Dame. Notre Dame's been riding a hot way, but Navy covered against them last week as a big underdog. Boston College is 3-7. and seven. They've gotten a couple big victories this year including a big win over Louisville a couple weeks ago. Notre Dame minus 21. They're at home. I'm not taking Notre Dame. To, to, I'll take Notre Dame to win the game. I, be, I look at Boston College plus 21. There are some lines to make money this weekend. I like Boston College plus 21. 9 o'clock start, one of the biggest games of the college football weekend. UCLA at USC. Two teams in the Pac-12. USC has one loss, UCLA with two, following their loss to Arizona last Saturday night. Caleb Williams versus Dorian Thompson, Robinson, Zach Charbonnet, Chip Kelly, Lincoln Riley. All the headlines you want live on Fox. Both teams' defense not exactly stellar. USC gives up a lot of big plays, although what they do do is they lead the entire FBS in interceptions because they get a lead, teams have to throw on them, and they get that. When it comes to stopping the run, when it comes to pass rush, they lack that skill. Caleb Williams has been balling out lately for USC. UCLA is such a fun team to watch. I think this will be a high-scoring affair. I'm not taking UCLA to cover the one and a half. They might. They could very well win this game. I think. It, I think this goes 48-45. Whoever wins this game, 
USC wins it. They remain in the college football playoff race. They lose this game. They are out of it. However, the interesting thing here, you might see USC win this game, and they very well, Caleb Williams, might help his Heisman candidacy even if they lose because I see him getting three to four minimum touchdown passes this week. I also think he rushes for at least 50-plus yards. The dude's a stud. USC's got a good program. I do think USC wins this game, Lincoln Riley and Co. Illinois, the Fighting Illini are at Michigan. Michigan and Ohio State both playing this week, both favorites. Ohio State's a 29.5-point favorite against Maryland. Michigan's an 18.5-point favorite at home against the Fighting Illini. They play each other next Saturday in the biggest game of the season. Both teams now both know this. It's another look-ahead type game, but Illinois stinks. They throw away games. They frustrate me. Maryland's not a good football team, and I bet against Ohio State last week, plus 40 against Indiana. I'm not making that mistake again. I'll take both teams if I was betting as the favorite to cover the points. So I like OSU minus 27.5. I like Michigan minus 18.5. I don't bet favorites, but if I was, that's the way i go. University of Georgia is at Kentucky. Kentucky is a 22.5 point favorite. Beginning of the year, this would be much closer, but like I mentioned, Kentucky's lost to Vandy. Will Levis has thrown six interceptions last two starts, and they're averaging just 12 points a game in those two starts. Georgia is the best team in the nation. Kentucky won't put up that much of a fight. Georgia will likely 22.5. I think Georgia wins it. And finally, Utah at Oregon. Two two-loss teams. Oregon lost last week to the University of Washington. So they're coming off that disappointing loss. Utah has defeated USC. They, they've lost to Florida. They've lost to UCLA. So they both have had interesting seasons, still somewhat alive in the Pac-12. Oregon's tough to beat at home, although Washington did it last week. Utah with Cameron Rising, they can run the football. They can have big plays. Oregon's much more of an offense that's methodical. Bo Nix was hurt in the game last week. He had to leave, but then eventually did come back in. Oregon won't lose two in a row at home. Oregon will win this game and defeat Utah, I think. And finally, for this weekend when it comes to football, because there's a lot of football this weekend, it's, it is the... We got the Grey Cup, the Toronto Argonauts, and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Toronto is a five-point underdog. Winnipeg is going for the third straight Grey Cup. Andrew Harris is back for the Toronto Argonauts. He missed most of the season, was ruled out for the season, but he is healthy and he will play in the game. He played last week in the conference championship game. Zach Kalaros was banged up in that game, but he is going to play reportedly, and he's fresh off winning his second straight Most Outstanding Player award last night. I picked the Alouettes to beat the Argonauts, actually, but a, Toronto survived it. McLeod Bethel-Thompson, this team has just been a workhorse team. And the thing about Toronto is whenever they get to great cups, they seem to win them. They seem to just have a knack of finding a way to win them. I, it screams Winnipeg. They barely lost a game all year. They're completely dominant. They have a great, some great receivers in Dalton Shane and uh, Greg, Greg Ellingson. 
They got the most outstanding player in Zach Kalaros. I would take Toronto plus five. I think they'll keep it. I think this will be a good Grey Cup. It's in it's in Regina, so and it, it's going to be minus three as of right now and clear. So that's pretty good for the weather out there. There's not going to be a snowball like we saw in Ottawa a number of years ago. So I would take Toronto plus five. And honestly, I'm going to take Toronto, I'm going to take the Argonauts to win the Grey Cup and stop Winnipeg from getting a three peat. I just have a. I thought they lose to the Alouettes. They get by them. They seem to be. A, they just have that the knack of how to find ways to win. McLeod Bethel Thompson was brought in from the NFL. He was cut from a number of teams, but the, he's found a home in Toronto. He seems to, he plays extremely well. They got Brandon Banks, who's never won a Grey Cup. He's played in three of them with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. I think he's desperate to win one. I think this might be his last CFL game, win or lose. So I think they're going to be motivated for him. Andrew Harris is looking for three straight himself. Maybe this is his last EFL game. You never know. I think there's a lot of just question marks where where these teams go moving forward. And I'm going to go with the I'm going to go Argonauts plus five, and I'm going to take the Argonauts to win the game. But the Grey Cup's fun. That's Sunday night. I think it's a seven o'clock, seven thirty kickoff. It's it's always a good game. And you know, you get to, it's the ending of the of the 2022 CFL season. Another season in the books. The league is back. It survived the pandemic, and that's something we I think we should all celebrate as a country. That's it for today. We'll be back on Monday with lots to break down from the NFL, lots to talk about from the NHL as well, and and across the world of sports. Um. Next week, obviously, is Thanksgiving in the U.S. We'll have to preview those games. We'll do that. I'm actually going to the Monctonians tomorrow morning to watch some major junior, major midget hockey. So looking forward to doing that this weekend and obviously watching a whole lot of sports as well. So get some major midget in the morning, fly back home, watch some college in the afternoon and some uh, NHL. So sounds like a pretty good weekend for somebody like me. I don't know what you guys are doing, but I hope you enjoy whatever it is. Enjoy the cold. Embrace it. Winter is here. I'm not happy, but I'll try to be positive uh, along with all of you. So until next time, we'll talk to you Monday. Here I'm to the point.